name is Scott Evans. My wife and our daughter Madeline have been coming to NBC since she was born. So really easy to know, 14 months. We've been going here for 14 months. Our scripture reading today is from Revelation. We'll be in chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Go ahead and be seated. Wow. Great worship this morning. I even had somebody walking in and goes, wow, they sound good. <laughs> I was like, wow, they do. You can tell I wasn't singing, that's for sure. <laughs> they, uh, they, every now and then, in the past, sometimes I would forget to shut off my uh, muted mic, and I'd get all excited afterwards, and I'd be sitting there singing. Someone up here would be going like this, trying to tell me to quit singing because I was throwing off the praise team. They were doing so good, right? Praise God. Amen. Good to see everyone this morning. Uh, we had another great day in our start of our Mansfield Bible Institute. Um, we're excited about that. We had, I think, about 50 in there again today. Uh, Tim uh, Bozeman was teaching uh, about being in Christ. Uh, it was just a really good, really good time together and really neat to see how God is working in that, in that class and in that process. So if you're interested in NBC Institute, um, you can go to our website. It has some of the courses. But well, right now we're only doing one course. We'll start some more in the, in the fall. And uh, you can find out what's going on in that course, the classes that are in that course. I believe next week, one of our elders, uh, Paul Duran, will be teaching on the glorious gospel. Uh, so you'll enjoy that. Really exciting about that. And I think then the following week, I uh, was excited to see uh, Greg Buckles here today. Um, after his battle. Um, so if you hadn't, hadn't seen him, uh, and sometimes I never get to see people until I'm standing there, oh, hey, Nick, good to see you. I'm glad you're back, you know, over here. He's been gone. I look out, saw the DeMonts back there, and just really exciting when we get and look around and uh, you see the church and the people of God. So, but I believe after the next week, the following week, Greg's going to be doing kind of an intro into the Bible. Is that correct, Greg, I believe? Yeah, so really excited about it. You can go on our website and take a look at that and see what's going, see what's going on. Uh, to God be the glory um, that we, his people, would have the opportunity this morning to gather, to worship, to speak of the worth of our God, that we would have ears that are ready to hear what the Spirit would have to say to us through his word, and that we would grow in our faith that we would have a thirst for our God, a longing, deep relationship with him through the love of Christ and what God has done for us, that he would declare us righteous. And as a result, we would call him Abba, Father. To God be the glory and the praise. And as we've been going through our series, we started a series last week and, uh, in the seven churches of Revelation. So we'll be in chapter two today and the 
Church of Smyrna. As we're going through that, it's a message that Christ has to the churches. I believe seven uh, literal churches of the time that has messages throughout. He didn't just at the end of each letter say, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church at Ephesus. No, what he says, let he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So even today, there's application and truth here for us that we might might understand and be enlightened and grow in Christ and incorporate his word and his truth into our lives. So uh, in order for that to happen, we must be dependent on him. So let us pray. Father God, let us, uh, let us as we approach your text this morning, Father, let us be a people that have walked through the doors today, ready to worship, to acknowledge you, to recognize you in our lives, to place our trust in you, that, Father, we are not in and of ourselves capable of righteousness, that we find righteousness in your son, Jesus Christ. And so as he speaks to these churches, Father, may our ears be ready to hear what he has to say to the church, that we might, Father, grow in our faith, that we might be a people who are a light in the midst of darkness, in the midst of chaos, proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the ministry of reconciliation that we might proclaim in this world in this time. And then, Father, just go past all of the, my own sins and iniquities and shortcomings and speak to us, Father, that we may not be a people that walk in darkness or in foolishness, but that we would, Father, walk in the light and the truth of your word. These things we would ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I have a chart, I believe, up there. To, <clears throat> we last week started on, on Ephesus this week, the highlighted part where Smyrna. I, I want to point out a couple of things like, and I did this last week under the, uh, each letter kind of has this flow. So you see a praise of Christ. Every church he has a praise for except the church at Laodicea. And every church he has a confrontation. Like there's something going on in that church that needs to be addressed, that needs to be dealt with. And he has that for every church but two. And one of them is Smyrna and the other one is Philadelphia. And today we're looking at Smyrna. We want to understand what it is about what was going on within this church that, that Christ had no confrontation for him. In fact, he told them to be faithful even unto death. Most of us probably don't think about death when we talk about following Jesus. But when Jesus is a priority in your life, there's a distinctive in your life. And that was so true of the church at Smyrna, for their faith, to walk in their faith and to be faithful, there was a distinction between them and, the, and those who didn't believe. And he promises them a crown of life um, and, uh, and that the second death will not hurt them. That's an amazing thing. So let's take our Bibles and turn, if you aren't there already, to Revelations chapter 2. And verse, uh, verse eight, and he says unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and who came to life. Now the Smyrna is interesting. I was, I've always kind of understood Smyrna is kind of a term we get the word mirth from or kind of a, or myrrh, uh, kind of a, the idea of kind of a perfume or sometimes they used it in embalming bodies at the time. Uh, but it was interesting, as I was doing some more reading, there's still some other thoughts about why this city was named 
Smyrna, but the term Smyrna is that idea of mirth. It was about 35 miles north of Ephesus. It was the second wealthiest city, only behind Ephesus. Uh, it was a beautiful seaport city. It was known for its, for its beauty and its uh, grandeur. Uh, it was kind of sloped from the, it was a seaport, and it was kind of sloped away from the sea. I was looking at a modern-day picture, and it was kind of gone around like this, kind of like a crown. And so it was a beautiful city. It was a very wealthy city. It was a large city, about 200,000. And unlike Ephesus, there's still there a church today. That should be powerful, you know what? That should be powerful. May God be pleased that he would allow Mansfield Bible Church to still be going strong 2,000 years from now. Hmm. They had a large amphitheater there that would sit about 20,000. Uh, but Smyrna was, one of the uniquenesses about Smyrna is that it was obsessed with idolatry and especially emperor worship. Uh, they, were, they were always readily to side with Rome and, and as a result of that and their relationship with Rome and, and all, they were given self-governing powers, which was unique. It was in this context that we find the persecution that was going on at Smyrna being very difficult for anyone that would call themselves a Christian or would follow after Christ. If you were a Christian in the first century at the city of Smyrna, you stood out. You did not fit in. You were opposed from every angle at the very core of your belief. Uh, when you went forward with your faith of uh, in Jesus, it would prove to be a problem within the city. Uh, you definitely stood out, and it was a very difficult uh, environment in which to live at the time. It was a very difficult context for God's people. It was in this context where many Christians faced severe, severe trials. Many of the things, if you've read and passed of some of the uh, things that they did to believers back in that time in Rome were even done there that would even cost them their lives. And I love this, when you understand this, that in that first verse, Jesus says to them, the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. How powerful is that? To a church that was feeling itself pressed in. And we know this, we're gonna be talking about this some today. You know, we're, where in the activities of life, one thing happens where, you know, like when you're, I, I'm not a big ocean guy, but you know, I can remember standing out there and you're standing and a wave comes and then another wave comes, another wave comes. You know, there's the pressure of life. Just when you think, okay, we're, everything's good now. And then boom, something else happens. Boom, something else happens. And the pressure that we deal with in life and this is what Jesus says to the church, the words of the first and the last, he who died and came to life. How powerful. You see, Jesus says a few things to this church at Smyrna, and one of the first things he says to them in this phrase is that I've overcome death. To a believer who was facing death on a regular basis, I'd overcome death. Overcome death. In that very first phrase, when he says the words of the first and the last, it speaks of his eternal being. He, he's relating himself to be the eternal God. He's from the beginning to the end, the alpha, the omega, 
time and eternity. In other words, the picture is there was never a time, and I've said this before, and you'll hear me say it many times in the future. There was never a time when Jesus wasn't God. There was never a time. He always has been and always will be God. And that's important for us to understand. If we're going to understand in the midst of, of, of struggle, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of pain, we need to understand that our lives are tied not to the pain and the struggle, but our lives are pain, tied to the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. The first and the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the, the one who was and is and is to come. You believe Jesus is coming again, don't you? He also said, who died and came to life. It's beautiful in this phrase. In one breath, he speaks of the, the omnipotent, the all-powerful, infinite God. And in the very next breath, he talks about coming, the one who died, the one who walked into his creation and allowed his creation to handle him and reject him. And he went to a cross, and on the cross he bore our sins. He experienced death, and, and he rose again that we might have life. And because he is alive, we live. Our life is eternally tied to who Christ is. You cannot separate that. Jesus isn't something that you kind of add to life. Jesus isn't something that you believe that you might get the best out of life. Jesus is life. And Jesus speaks to them in this church that was going through such a hard time. It was so relevant to these Christian believers that they would hear these words. And it's relevant to us today. Be encouraged. Take heart. Life is hard, but Jesus says, I've overcome death. Life is painful, but Jesus says, I have risen. Life is filled of heartache and suffering, but Jesus says, I'm alive. How important, how encouraging to realize and to remember that the temporal, while it may be tough at times, we don't lose sight of the eternal. Church, Jesus overcame, and in him we have life. Dear people of God, in him, he is our life. So not only did Jesus tell us that he's overcome death to these at the believers at Smyrna, but then he also says, I know the weight of your burden. I think this is so important. Look at it in verse nine. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. It's interesting here again, Jesus, I said this in every letter, he says this, I know, I know how encouraging is that? Jesus knows the church, he knows you, he knows what's going on, nothing's hidden under a rock where Jesus lifts it up and goes, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. He knows, and the first thing he says is, I know, I know the weight of your burden. And he uses some words here to describe. He says, I, I know your burden of persecution. When he says, I know your tribulation. In the context of, 
of, of Smyrna and all that was going on that was so obsessed with idolatry and the worship of the emperor, Jesus understood and he understood the, uh, the, the difficulty and the pressure that they were feeling in that environment. In 196 BC, before Christ, Smyrna had built a temple to the goddess of Roma where they would worship the spirit of Rome. It, got all, it even got worse. By AD 23, Smyrna competed with 11 other cities. And the comp competition was, was the honor to build the first temple of worship to the emperor Tiberius Caesar. And they won. Just to understand the intensity of the environment. 60 to 70 years later, about the time when when this was revealed to John and he wrote it for the churches that they might hear. <clears throat> emperor Domitian was the first emperor at the time to actually demand worship. He demanded to be called Lord. And some, I was reading, even some were saying he demanded not only to be called Lord, but also to be called God. He incorporated laws that enforced that. And if you were a Christian in Smyrna in the first century and you believe that there's only one to call Lord, that there's only one God, and you had to make a decision on a daily and a regular basis about your faith and what you believed, and you refused to call the emperor Lord, there would be consequences. They understood that they could not bow and would not call him Lord. And so they found themselves in a very volatile environment and threatened in everyday life. And it's to these folks that Jesus says, listen to this, I know your tribulation. How comforting is that? Jesus knows what you're going through this morning. He knows your heartache, he knows your pain. He didn't just know theirs, but he knows ours too. This week, this last week, the elders were gathered and we began sharing and praying for one another as we normally would. And as we did, we just began to realize there were some major things going on in each one of our lives as we prayed for each other. Then we started praying for our staff and we mentioned some of the things with our staff and started realizing there were some really just pressing things going on in the lives of some of our staff. Then we thought about you guys and realizing there's some very difficult and pressing things going on within the people of God. And to you, I would say, Jesus knows your troubles. How comforting is that? How comforting is that? He doesn't just know the burdens of persecution, but he also knows the burden of poverty. Look at it. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. The word here for poverty is, is really a unique word. It's very strong in the, in the idea of poverty. It literally means kind of an abstract or extreme poverty. 
So I was like, I was like, man, well, what is considered extreme poverty? So I went on the UN, I looked at a couple of the UN defines those who are living on less than a dollar ninety a day as extremely poor, as abstract poor. Think about that the next time you buy a Coke. The Samaritan Christians were facing extreme poverty. Extremely poor. In fact, I think I mentioned it later again, I may, but one, one um, a theologian was, or historian was referring that probably part of the reason of their, of their struggles in, in, the, in their poverty was a result of, of things that the community was doing to do everything to punish them because they wouldn't, wouldn't bow down to Rome. I thought that was interesting. You know, oftentimes when you're extremely poor or you, you begin to feel hopeless, you begin to feel forgotten. I remember in Tanzania meeting folks that were living on, on hardly nothing and just being thankful that we came and we were there, that we seemed to care. Greg experienced that in Pakistan. People thrilled to see them. Some of you have been on mission trips. You've seen the same thing where they feel like they're forgotten. And to those who may feel like they're forgotten, those in Smyrna, Jesus says, I know your poverty, but you are rich. You are rich. Can we overstate the power of that? Look at it. But you are rich. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse Verse 10, having nothing but possessing everything. Why? Because he has Jesus Christ. It's in Christ is our eternal worth. Being in Christ is the value of your life. Do you understand that? You see, the world uses a different, a different system, a different method of determining worth and wealth than what God uses. And when we are in Christ, our worth is there. That's why he can say to him, but you are rich, Jesus says. I find it interesting that in all their difficulties, Jesus didn't tell them just to go out and claim some house as their property. Or just go claim something over here. Or to demand the riches of heaven in their present. He told them, I know your struggles. That you're rich because you're co-heirs with Christ. Adopted into the family of God, you are his people, Jesus knows, but you are rich. He also knew not only that, the, the persecution, the poverty, but he also understood the evil that was around him. And he says there, and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue, or are a synagogue of Satan. Here's a picture of what's going on. Slander, they were telling false truths. Again, probably making accusations against the brethren and it was causing them pain and difficulty. And he says it was coming in this, apparently in this context and from the Jews. People who thought they were Jews, they were born Jews, but spiritually they weren't because they were rejecting God and the message of his, of his word. And they were bringing slander in John chapter eight. You see an interesting, I always found that an amazing conversation between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. And he tells them, but you're of your father, the devil. Why? Because he's a father of lies and you're lying. And Jesus here is saying to them, I know they are not, they are Jews and are not, 
They're of the synagogue of Satan. Satan was an accuser of God's people. He still, to this day, accuses us. He wants to point out, and you know what? Sometimes he points things out about me that's absolutely true. But by the grace of God, the victory is in Christ. So the Jews were taking on this role, if you would, of Satan by accusing the, the brothers and sisters in Christ. They were accusing those who were believers and as shocking as that may be, it was causing tremendous, tremendous, tremendous pressure and enduring persecution. And Jesus says, I know your troubles. Dear people, God, I wanna say this. I want you to be encouraged this morning. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows every situation you're in. He knows the tears you've shed. He knows the heartache that you face. He knows your fears and your anxieties. He knows your suffering and your pain. He knows your difficulties in your workplace and in your school. He knows the struggles or the challenges that come in a community. Now listen to me. He knows the difficulties in your homes. He knows those things. And he hasn't left you. He says, I know, I love you, I care about you. You are mine in Christ. I know your burden. I know your struggles. I know what you're under. And you know what? I am with you. That's what Jesus tells us. These believers going through great pain and difficulties. They were going through great struggles. But Jesus wanted them to remember that they were not alone. He knew what they were going through. In verse 10, he goes on and he says, he tells them here they're going to be tested do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. I was thinking about this this week. I was like, I wonder if everybody knew this Sunday, if you come into church, you're probably gonna get thrown into jail. It's like, but I wonder if attendance would be way down. Hey, we all have those fears, Right? We all, we all are afraid of difficulties and struggles. And look at, look at Jesus, what he does. He tells us some attitudes or some things that we need to do when we face hard times. And the first thing he says in verse 10 is, do not fear. In fact, it literally means stop being afraid. We've just gone through not that long ago of a time where all kinds of fear. We fear what's going to happen in politics. We fear what's going to happen in the economy. We fear what's going to happen in socially. We fear what's going to happen in our schools. We fear what's going to happen in our communities. We fear all kinds of things around us. And Jesus is telling these believers, stop being afraid. Not that everything's going to be okay. He didn't say that. Did you notice that? But then when you trust in the Alpha and the Omega and he's the one that you depend on, you don't have to be afraid of the outcome. My life isn't based on the, on the potential consequences of my environment. My life is based on the eternal son of God. The first and the last who died and rose again. 
See, we got to quit putting our confidence in the outcome and put our confidence in the God that we serve. Then we can stop being afraid. And he says to them, he says, and I, I, I love, you know, it's amazing what he says here. He says, do not be afraid for what you're about to suffer. So many times we think that when pain and suffering comes into our lives, somehow it's God's fault. We sometimes start thinking God isn't doing his job. We start wondering about all the things that are going on and we say to ourselves, well, where's God? And here he's telling them, he says, you're about to suffer. And you know what? The devil's gonna throw some of you into prison. Dear people of God, in the middle of all of the temporal and the physical and everything around us, the one thing that we need to continue to remember, the one thing we need to continue to remember is that God is eternal and he will see us through. When we remember that we are in a spiritual warfare, that behind the persecution itself is a spiritual battle and a spiritual world in which our adversary, the devil, is seeking to destroy and devour, devour that which is around us to destroy our lives, destroy our families, destroy our communities, destroy all that around us. We combat in a world of spiritual warfare and the way that you win is through the word of God and prayer. And we need to, we need to anchor ourselves in those things. We need to be a people that are praying. We need a people that are studying, learning the word of God and incorporating into our lives that God may be victorious in us. In fact, he says here for 10 days, I don't, some say it was a literal 10 days, some say 10, day, 10 periods of time. It really, I really don't know, I don't know that it matters other than that Jesus is allowing them to be tested. And when you talk about that word that you may be tested, there's two ideas involved there. There's a testing towards destruction and there's a testing in, uh, with a view toward re approval. In other words, there's some that would test in order to destroy and there's some that would test in order to prove who you are. Sometimes we do that, right? When we see somebody, like I can remember in management, I would put a manager in here like, oh no, I can't, I know you can. This is gonna be really, I know. And then they sailed, you know? It just proved that all the things that we thought about them as a manager. Well, the picture here is the picture of, of Satan. He tests us to destroy. He wants to bring trials and tribulation that he might destroy us. But when we go through trials and tribulations that God allows us to go through, it simply shows the grace of God that's in our lives and the power of God that's working in our lives that we demonstrate to him the glory of all that he has done, that we rest in him and his righteousness and his goodness and we come out victorious because of him. So when we go through testing, it is difficult, but it's in those times that we find ourselves reflecting the glories of God. You know, hard times demand faith. You know, there's times I've thought about in my life where we've gone through things and, you know, it just seems like, again, like I was describing earlier, the wave just keeps coming. Just one more blow, one more blow. And you're, and you're sitting there and you're going through and you feel like sometimes you're just kind of crawling, crawling along, trying to make, and you're looking off and you're, you're seeing Christ like, like Moses who rejected the, the riches of Egypt because he saw the cities of God. 
and you put on faith and, and you're walking along and another hits and you, and you keep hitting and you just keep trying to walk by faith, you realize it's not, it's not even you, it's God at work in you. You don't want to take another step. You haven't, you know, you're like pulling the leg up to take another step of faith because it's so difficult. And sometimes we go through times like that that just keep pounding against us, pounding against us. And then there's going to be this day, this wonderful, great day when Jesus comes in all of his glory. And in that day, we'll be falling on our faces. We'll be tears of just tears of joy, just of thanksgiving and excitement because here he is in all of his glory. And then we'll realize that all of these sufferings and the heartache and the pains and the difficulties of this world, of this time, will be nothing compared to the glories that are ours in Jesus Christ in that day. We have to remember that. We have to remember that. Dear people of God, keep the faith. Fight the good fight of faith. That's what he says here. When he says that you may be tested for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Then look what he says. Be faithful unto death. The, the idea of that word literally is to be becoming faithful. It's a, a continuous action. Continue in faith. Even if it leads to death, continue to be faithful. Continue. The hardest thing in our Christian lives is in the midst of agony, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of chaos, when life is delivered its toughest blow, that we ask ourselves, do I believe? Has God changed? Has God changed? Is he still the same from the first to the last? Is he still the one who died and rose again? Is he still the eternal God from everlasting to everlasting? Or has that changed because I've experienced so much difficulty? It's hard. If you're going through this stuff right now, and some of you are, it's hard. It's hard. But be encouraged, dear people of God. Take faith. Be faithful. And look what he says. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. It's not just a crown of glory, but it's the idea of finishing the race. It's well done, thy good and faithful servant. It's, it's finishing the race. It's being faithful. It's, it's getting through because we know the one that we have placed our faith in, that he will do everything he said he would do. And we place our faith in him. We rest in him and the work of God and the grace of God that's work, at work within us examine, exemplifies itself. It makes itself known because of what God has done in our lives. And it can be the, the pressures of this world will change nothing in what we believe and hold. The crown of life. I look forward to that day. Look what he says in verse 11. You know, the picture here is when you finish the race, it will be worth it. Look what, he, look what it says here in verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There it is again. I always chuckle from the first time I ever read it. I've always chuckled at that verse still to this day. I'm like, anybody in here don't have an ear? So it's not the physical ear he's talking about, right? 
It's a spiritual ear. Are you listening and hearing what God says to the churches? What is he saying? Listen to what he says. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The one who conquers, how do you conquer? I love what it says in 1 John chapter 5. It says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You want to overcome the world? It's not how strong you are. It's not who you know. It's not your accomplishments. It's not your skills. It's faith in Jesus. 1 John 5, 3 and 4. And look what he says. When you overcome or conquer, it says, will not be hurt. It's a double negative. And what that means is literally the idea of will not be hurt, will not be hurt by the second death. It's an emphasis that, that, that the second death will not hurt you. What's he talking about when he says the second death? He's talking about the great white throne judgment. You can go in Revelation, chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, and there's a picture there of Christ coming and when all will stand before him. And he calls it the second death. So there's this picture whereby we're, we're born and unless Jesus comes today, we die again physically. The next time we die spiritually, we face a, com a consequence of a judgment of God. But if you're in Christ and you've received Christ into your life, you will not be hurt. You will not. Do you know Christ? You know, maybe, this, maybe you came here this morning and you just came with somebody, whatever. You wandered in, came driving down the road. I mean, we all go into that building. And you ended up here this morning. And you've never trusted Christ. You've never heard this before. Well, today is the day to receive Christ into your life. Maybe you've been going through your life and just one thing after another, after another, another, and it may just be God getting your attention that you might yield your life to Christ and trust him for your salvation. That you would humble yourself and recognize what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. That the gospel, the atonement that God has provided for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Today's the day of salvation. Now's the time. It's a favorable time. You see, the church in Smyrna, they suffered greatly. We can't even begin to compare to the sufferings that they faced. But there's something they learned and something that we need to learn, dear people of God, children of God, listen this morning. You see, there's a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost. But there's also a cost for not following Jesus. And so many times we give up on following Jesus because we're afraid of the world. We shut our mouths when we need to speak forth. We hide our faith because we're afraid. There's a cost to following Jesus. And sometimes that cost brings about difficulties and heartache. But there's also a greater cost to not follow him. 
Because in that day, the second, you will not be safe from the second death. You will not. It's the importance of this message is to hear not only for the person who may not have trusted Christ that today's the day for salvation, to hear that and to believe and to receive Christ into your life. But it is all just, also just as important to you as believers to make sure to deal with those issues in your life of who you're following, who your treasure is, who is it that you seek after, and not to allow the world to steal your faith to stand forth and to be distinctive in a world that is looking for distinction. Many times only to ridicule it, but it doesn't matter because we are looking off to the second coming to a time when our Jesus, our Lord, will come. Perhaps nowhere was life more difficult than Smyrna, who was zealous for emperor worship and idolatry. In 156 A.D., after the death of Christ. 60 years from the time that this was revealed to John and he recorded it. Polycarp was the pastor and he refused to worship the emperor. So they took him and they tied him to a stake. Polycarp said to them, 86 years. Can you imagine? I'm not even there yet. 86 years I have served Christ. And he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And they burned him alive. Dear people of God, be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful unto death. Be faithful. We serve a risen king. You may be here this morning and maybe you've gone through some really difficult times. Maybe you want to know more about Christ and how you can receive him. And you just want to pray with somebody. Well, we've been having people up here to, to, to pray with. If you want to go through, want someone just to come and pray with you, you don't even need to hear anything. You just want someone to be there just to pray with you because man, life's been pretty tough. The difficulties you've been facing. Well, they're going to be here. They'll be here to pray with you. Take advantage of it. They'll be here after the service. You don't have to come while they're in the services going on. You can come up afterwards. They'll be here praying with you because they care about you. They want to pray for you. Let's pray. Father God, we just, uh, we just trust you with the message of your word and the truth of it. Let us, Father, not grow weary in our faith so many times, Father. I mean, I know. I've thought it. I just think, man, I want to run somewhere, you know, to some mountain or beach, you know, someplace where I never have to think about what to, how, to, how to work to survive or have to have food to eat or drink. And the reality, Lord, that's not how you created us. You created us to work. You created us to be productive. You created us in such a way that we would follow after you and each and every day we trust you with the, the food that we have, the clothes that we have, the, the homes that we have. And Lord, sometimes in this world, in the sin-cursed world, things get difficult and they get hard. Father, we just have to find ourselves resting and trusting in you. Not into some dream or, or thought of what we would like life to be, but to realize that, Father, our worth is in Christ 
And one day when he is revealed, we will be, re we will be, be revealed with him in glory. Lord, that's our worth. Our worth is in Christ. Father, will you just be pleased even now that your spirit would move among your people and Father, those that need to be encouraged, may Father, they be encouraged today. Those that need to be strengthened, Father, may they be strengthened. Father, those that, of us that sometimes we close doors in the areas of our lives, that Father, we may open those doors and allow you in. Do as you please, in Christ's name, amen.